Good morning. It's good to be with you all again, and happy Mother's Day to all of you. This morning, we are going to start off at least by looking at just one verse from Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you and gather in this place to tell you so. With hearts and voices united in song and in prayer, and just by our presence before you. Lord, we ask that you would now give us ears, hearts, to hear and receive your word to us. Please be with us, we pray, as we consecrate this time to you. Give us the ability to engage with your word. Let your Holy Spirit open our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I really have just one goal. To set before you as clearly and beautifully as I can, as God enables me, the cross of Christ. And that verse just read from Galatians 6, Far be it from me that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As Paul would put it elsewhere, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I decided to know nothing, nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there are all sorts of other very similar verses to this. And I do this not only to, to focus our attention on where we need to be theologically, but very practically in order to encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as we go through this life. Really, there's nothing more important, especially in the midst of such a deeply troubled world as ours, than to keep our eyes steadfastly fixed on Jesus and on the cross. As we're exhorted in Hebrews chapter 12 alone, it says, let us run with perseverance the race that God has set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is where our focus needs to be at all times, but it's so easy to forget, so easy to lose sight of this in the midst of all the chaos and noise of this world. Recently I was in Indiana, driving along a highway, and as so many of the nights were and days were this last spring, it was a dark, cold, wet, gloomy night. Conditions that pretty much reflected the mood that I was in uh, at the time. As a matter of fact, I was feeling rather overwhelmed uh, at that time with uh, just all the terrible things that were going on in the world, 
thinking about some really awful things that were going on in the lives of people I know and care about, and just some very difficult, challenging things in my own life. And I had just found myself feeling more than blue. I found myself discouraged. I found myself actually sinking down into this, what I might call just a dark, miry pit. And I couldn't seem to stop that downward spiral. I, I don't doubt that many of us have been there. I've been there before. Many of us have probably been there as well. Just You can't seem to stop this flow, this, this descent into this dark, miry place in our lives. And this had been going on for a little while. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't reason my way out of it. I couldn't pray my way out of it. I couldn't exhort my way out of it. It was just happening. It, just felt, it was getting to the point where I just felt exhausted, discouraged, and overwhelmed all the time. But as I was driving along, I came across this really huge, brightly lit cross standing by itself along the highway. There was nothing else. Just in a dark, gloomy night, this bright cross shining in the darkness. Now, I know it sounds cheesy, Neon-lit crosses, right? You know, it's, it's embarrassing. But it was a pretty meaningful moment for me nonetheless at that time. And it started me thinking again. And I was reminded once again, I just thought to myself, that's it. That's what it's all about. There is my hope. That's my anchor. That's my foundation in life. There is my beacon in the darkness, if you want. The cross of Christ. The cross of Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And then when God saw the world and all of its troubles, this was his response. This was his solution. Jesus and the cross. And I felt my soul reflecting on that. I began to become stabilized in my, my own soul. It became sort of an anchor I cling to, and after a while, it didn't take long for life to come back into perspective, for light and life to begin to flow back into my soul once again. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ has been the dominant symbol, the enduring emblem of the Christian faith for 2,000 years. And we find it everywhere. We find them in and around and on virtually any church, right? They're hung on walls and homes and offices. Churches for generations, for centuries, have been built on the floor plan of the cross. We see it on everything from gravestones to jewelry of all kinds. And there were all sorts of symbols uh, for, for Christianity in the early years. There was the fish. Uh, there was the dove. Uh, there's the Cairo symbol. Uh, all those things over the course of the years. But the cross has been the dominant one from the first days. The crucifix, with Jesus still on the cross, didn't appear until the 6th century. The sign of the cross has been used to set apart virtually every act and for people to identify themselves as belonging to Christ. You see it all the time where people do this. A lot of folks do it just out of superstition. But for generations it's been done to say, this is who I am. And this is my source of life. It's the cross of Jesus. This is what identifies me as one of his people. 
And why all this? Because the cross is the centerpiece of our faith. It represents the core of what Christianity is all about. And as such, it is an important, helpful, perpetual reminder of who we are, what we have, what Jesus has done for us. You see, and I think it's important because people try to make Christianity about all sorts of other things, almost anything else but. It's all about trying to be a good person. It's all about trying to do the right things so you get into heaven someday. It's all about trying to make this world a better place to live or whatever sort of things that people will attach to it. But the symbol of the cross just won't let us stop there. It takes us back to say, no, this is what it's all about. This is what Jesus has done for us, his suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. This is at the heart of the gospel. And it is this gospel, the cross being the centerpiece of the gospel, that dominates and runs through all of Scripture from beginning to end. Really, this is the theme that runs all the way through. It starts at the very beginning, uh, where the whole Old Testament sets up Jesus and the cross. Where this starts in Genesis 3, verse 14, in what is called the Proto-Euangelion. Now, is that a great word or what? The Proto-Euangelion. The first good news. Where God tells Satan, he says, listen, I will have a seed from Adam come forth. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The first promise that I'm not going to let it stop here. I'm going to provide a solution. And it will be through the seed of Adam that comes. We see this starting to take shape in Genesis 22 with the offering of Isaac. Abraham is told to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him to God. And Abraham, whatever confusion or fear or horror he might have felt, he was obedient to this. He takes Isaac to the top of the mountain and he prepares to sacrifice him and then the angel stops him and says, no, don't do that. God has provided a ram caught in the thickets. Take the ram, sacrifice him in Isaac's place. And right from there, at that point, we have a, a picture of the gospel. God provides a sacrifice so that we don't have to die. Where did that incident occur? It occurred in Mount Moriah. What was built on Mount Moriah centuries later? The temple. Jerusalem itself was built in and around Mount Moriah. The temple itself was placed on the top of Mount Moriah. And the whole sacrificial system that, that was developed at that point in time from the scriptures was a perpetual reminder, a visual reminder, that this is the gospel. This is, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And that God is going to provide a sacrifice someday to satisfy that. The whole sacrificial, everything about the temple, Everything about the Old Testament is pointing to this. Take Passover. The Passover feast, which became the most central annual observance of the Jewish people as they remembered and celebrated God's deliverance from Egypt. It's rooted in the last of the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt because Pharaoh would not let God's people go as God had commanded him to do. And because of this, this tenth plague involved the death of all the firstborn. And the only protection that anyone would have is that they took the blood of an unblemished lamb, spread it over the doorposts of their house, 
took the meat and cooked it and ate it itself, which is all now forerunner of the Lord's Supper. And only if they did this would the angel of death pass over their homes. Because that house and everyone inside was covered by the blood and protected thereby from the judgment. No works, nothing to do, no ritual, nothing to perform. Just take shelter in the grace that God has provided by faith. And the Passover festival constantly reminded people of this great act of salvation. And it was symbolic for them. This is how salvation is accomplished. The death of a firstborn is now Jesus. Jesus on the cross. The blood of the Lamb is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Judgment is coming. And the only way out is to be covered with the blood of the Lamb. All of this, the Passover, the sacrificial system, visually, constantly preached the gospel, reminded people of, prefigured, and pointed us to the cross. It is the centerpiece of biblical history. And when Jesus came along, and he was conducting his earthly ministry, he constantly tried to take his disciples aside and say, guys, there's a lot going on here. Miracles, preaching and teaching, this sort of thing. But you need to understand, this is all headed to the cross. One of the four different times he says this, and in Matthew alone, he says this. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the disciples, 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered into the, into the hands of the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But then he will be raised the third day. He did this four times throughout the Gospels that are just simply recorded. Guys, all the other stuff. You, I mean, lots of people love the teachings of Jesus. Lots of people admire him uh, all over the world. But they don't seem to understand that all of it was headed to the cross. That's what it was all about. And Jesus did not want his disciples to forget that or miss it. And because of this, it dominates the ministry and message of Paul. Where Paul would say in Galatians 6.14, Far be it for me that I should boast in anything except the cross of Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I have decided in nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul constantly points us to the cross and applies it to us in two ways. Two things that he wants his people to know about the cross. One is what we've been talking about. It represents, it summarizes the incredible and wonderful redemptive work of Jesus in dying for our sins. Almost by itself, almost just by itself, it communicates the work of God's grace to save sinners, which is the essence of what the gospel and Christianity is all about. It's about salvation. It's not about being a better person. It's about being saved. It's not about God making you happy. It's about being saved. And he takes our punishment. He takes our judgment. He dies in our place. He is cursed for us. As he says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. And so Paul describes all this 
as our justification, how we are made right with God. He describes it as our propitiation, that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. He describes this as our atoning sacrifice. He pays our debt. It's the cross. And it's at the cross, then, that we see what our sin really did deserve. We see the horror that was involved in that. And that's what tells us how bad our sin really is. I think a lot of people have a pretty casual view of our, of our own sinfulness. The error is human. We all make mistakes, whatever. You know, we, we get that as far as we relate to one another. But the fact of the matter is, God sees it so seriously. He sees it as rebellion. And we, we, if we have a hard time grasping what that means, he says, well, look at the cross. Because at the cross, you'll see what your sin deserved. But at the cross you will also see the love and justice of God. Both of these things come together. Both of them are perfectly expressed and satisfied. Jesus showed his love for you and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He satisfies God's justice. If you want to understand God's love for you, what do you do? You've got to look at the cross. You Every one of you sitting in your chair were so precious to him. You matter so much to him. He is willing to pay the ultimate price to redeem you, to forgive your sins, to bring you back, to make you his child, to give you eternal life. That's how much you matter. Jesus was not just a good teacher who suffered and died to give us some sort of an example of how to suffer well. He didn't just die to show us how much he loved us or anything like that. He died for a very specific redemptive purpose. And it's amazing to me with the literature I read and things I hear everywhere else that, that, that this is what people say, that he died as an example of love, of how to suffer well. well let's just look at it this way. Let's just say that Paul, Debbie, and Sarah, your, your house is on fire. It's, 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 a, it's a blaze. Paul, everybody scrambles. They get out. Paul and Debbie are out on the sidewalk. All of a sudden, they realize Sarah is trapped in the house. She can't get out. They can't get in. Mark comes along. Mark comes along. He comes along, sees the fire, sees Paul and Debbie beside themselves, and he, he, he runs into the house. He finds Sarah. He drops her out of the window into their arms. Just as he does that, the, the house collapses in flames, and, and Mark perishes. So, Paul, Debbie, what are you going to think of Mark now? Pretty highly, right? Maybe they're going to build a statue in the middle of the city. Maybe they'll start a scholarship fund, the Mark Elstrand Scholarship Fund. You know, whatever sort of thing. The, the gratitude, the, 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 just the, the wonder that he would do that to save her. Let's just change that story a little bit. Big fire. House going down. Paul, Debbie, and Sarah are all out on the sidewalk. Paul, Mark comes along. He sees the house burning. And he says, Paul, Sarah, Debbie, I'm going to show you how much I love you. He runs into the house. And the house collapses on him. and It burns. Everything is gone. Mark is dead. Now what do you think of Mark? Like, wow. Screw loose there somewhere. You know, not admiration. Not gratitude. 
nothing else is like what was he think what was that all about you know that's just tragic that's horrible but see, that's exactly what we do to Jesus if we don't understand why he did what he did. The immense price that was paid for our redemption. We are all like Barabbas, the prisoner that was set free for Jesus. And Jesus himself was crucified. We are Barabbas, the guilty ones who are set free because Jesus dies in our place. This is what Paul wants us to understand, but he also wants us to understand that the cross is presented to us as the pattern and motive for how we are to live our lives as redeemed Christians. It defines us now as Christians. It sets the pattern now for all of your life. Far be it for me that I should boast. But then he also says, take up your cross and follow me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Dying to self, living for Jesus. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Or the great passage in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. But let each of you regard one another as more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And what does he use as your example and model and motive for that? Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You all go out and live the same kind of life in your marriages, with your kids, in your workplace, in your schools. That's what the cross means for us now. The cross is our freedom. The cross is our life. The cross is our service to Christ and to others. And one last perspective. The cross is not just dominant throughout the Old and New Testament, but in God's mind and in his plan, it happened before the foundations of the world. We are told in Ephesians 1, we're told in, in Revelation 13 and other places, that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. That's a mind-boggling concept. That Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. Now that doesn't mean he was actually literally slain, but in the mind and the plan of God, it was from the beginning. God knew, even as he created the world and man, that man would rebel and fall. He knew he would have to redeem man from sin and judgment through the sacrifice of of his son and he did it anyway people have often wondered I've often wondered why did he do that why did he create humans if he knew this if he knew what, that there'd be a history of hatred and violence of killing and pain when he knew the price of redemption would be so high from a human point of view it's a rather be bewildering question and the only answer that I think we can find as we try to deduce that from Scripture is that somehow it was all worth it. It was all worth it. 
Now think about that as humans, and especially on Mother's Day, a most sobering look at Mother's Day maybe. Why do you have kids? Don't you know they're going to change your life? They're a huge inconvenience. They're a pain in childbirth, and they're a pain in life. They're going to keep you up at night. They're going to put you through years of worry and stress and grief. They're not going to show gratitude or appreciation for all the sacrifices and efforts you made for the most part. They're going to disobey and rebel. They're going to drive you crazy. They're going to make you furious. They're going to be defiant. They're going to embarrass you in public. They're going to get into trouble and disappoint you. And sometimes they will tell you to your face they hate you and they will break your heart. And they're expensive. So why do you do it? Why do we all do it? Are we nuts? Especially when you see what you put your own parents through. And what your what other parents go through. And yet we have kids anyway. Why? Though we know what's coming. We're either brain dead, we're masochists, or in the end, we know it's all worth it. That the love we have for them is absolutely indescribable. And we know that the love that we have for them, they will never understand until they have kids of their own. Then they'll understand how much their mother and their father loved them and gave up for them when they do it themselves. We love them so much that we will do anything for them. Even laying down our lives. And do you see that this is how God loves you? God showed his love for you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You did all of this to God. We all have. We've all been this kind of a pain. We've all been rebels. We've all said and done things we hugely regret. We have brought so much grief to our Father's heart. And yet he looks at us and says, I love you. And I will pay the ultimate price to bring you back to myself. To make you my children. To forgive your sins. To give you eternal life. To give you an identity and a purpose and a hope. In light of all of this, do you see what Christianity and the gospel are all about? It's about the cross of Christ. That's the heart of it all. Not by works, but by grace through faith. Not trying to make yourself a better person. Not trying harder to please God. Not trying to make yourself worthy so he'll accept you. It's all about the cross. Never, ever lose sight of that. However dark and dreary things get, however hard things are in your life, however discouraged, overwhelmed, exhausted, and depressed you become, cling to the cross. Keep that before you. It will be the anchor of your soul. It will be the beacon in the darkness. It will remind you of who you are and what you have in Jesus. All that he has done for you, how much he loves you, and the hope for a future that we have because of it. If you have not yet received and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please don't either turn off Facebook or, or leave here today without bowing before God, asking Him to come into your life, forgive your sins, and make you His child because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Confess your sins, acknowledge that, and turn to Him. And if you have done that, 
then take up your cross and follow him. This is the pattern. This is the calling. This is the motive. This is our response to his amazing grace. Never take your eyes off the cross. It is what it, that is everything, is all about. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this world gets so crazy for us. And we are all so weak, we are easily scared. We hear the bumps in the night or we hear the crashes and we get really scared. We lose our composure. We forget the foundational realities of our faith. I pray that, Father, that in the darkness you will enable us to always see the cross of Jesus shining through. That he will be our hope and our joy, our peace and our strength. That we will never take our eyes off it and it would become by your enabling grace the pattern in which we live our own lives with the same sort of selfless, loving, sacrificial grace towards others that you have extended to us. Let this transform our lives. Let it transform everything that we touch around us and everyone with whom we have a relationship. Thank you for the cross of Jesus. Amen.